Mary and I have been married for 20 wonderful years. We've actually been married for 35 years, but 20 of them were wonderful. And that's an old joke. I'm guessing not too many of you laugh, but I'm kind of hoping at least one or two of you may have smiled. I also probably got myself into a little bit of hot water with my wife. So, so let me clarify, or, or at least try to get my foot removed from my mouth. You see, I've been married to Mary for 20 wonderful years and another 15 incredible years for a total of 35 years. I'm not sure that that helped the joke, but maybe it helped me out with my wife. Mary and I met at a friend's barbecue back in the early 1980s. Both of us were into country music at the time. My favorite hangout was a country bar near Castlewood called The Lone Wolf. My friend, friend Tim and I would be there every Tuesday night, and then often on a Friday or Saturday night as well. The Lone Wolf was a fun place. They had a live band, and Tim and I were regulars. As soon as we would walk in the door, the waitresses, Tammy and Kathy, would bring us our favorite drinks. We even had our own table we always sat at. But outside of the waitresses, Tim and I were often the youngest people in the bar. Back then, I wanted to be a cowboy. I had the hat, which I didn't wear too often. I had the boots which I, boots, which I wore to the bar, and I knew how to do the Texas 10-step. Didn't that make me a, a real cowboy? Well, it wasn't long before Mary took me out of the bar and into her arms. Out of the bar and into her arms, doesn't that sound like a good title for a country music song? Well, even though we were done with the bars, Mary and I still love country music. Uh, our first dance at our wedding reception was a country song by Crystal Gale and Eddie Rabbit called Just You and I. And when I think back to those early days of my relationship with Mary, uh, another country song comes to mind. It's Looking for Love by Johnny Lee. The, the chorus of that song declares, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes and looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of, hoping to find a friend and a lover. And those words were followed by the, the musical bridge, which said, Then you came a-knocking at my heart's door. You're everything I've been looking for. Yep, that's my Mary. She was everything I was looking for. God brought Mary to me. Let's pray. Father, you are the source of love. We only love because Jesus first loved us. Jesus showed us the, the meaning of love. Through Christ, we know where to look for love and everything else we need. Still, we, we have to confess that we don't always look to Jesus. We look inside ourselves. We look to other people. We look to social media. We look to the latest self-help gurus, art of popular opinion. Help us to focus our eyes on you. Help us to seek your will. Help us to cast our burdens on Jesus. Help us to trust. Father, we ask that you would be with us today as we worship you and learn from your word. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The truth is, we do sometimes look 
in the wrong places. We can look in the wrong places for love, for help, for fulfillment, for answers, for meaning and purpose in life. If our searching begins and ends with Jesus, we will find what we're looking for. But even then, even when God provides what we're looking for, we sometimes miss it. We aren't satisfied with what God gives. We think we deserve something different, something better. At least we think it's better. We don't see the love and the the mercy that we receive from God every single day. We're not that much different from a man that we're going to meet in today's scripture passage. We're continuing our journey through John's Gospel. Uh, Last week, at the end of John chapter 4, we looked at the narrative of a Roman official who had a dying son. Jesus healed the man's son, and the official believed. He put his trust in Jesus. Today, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And in these verses, John writes of an invalid. The man was lame. He was paralyzed, crippled, or, or simply too weak to walk. The main lame man wasn't looking to Jesus for what he needed. Even so, Jesus performed a miracle. Jesus' third sign in the Gospel of John. The the lame man represents the wrong response to Jesus. If you'd like to join me in reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. John writes, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed He did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This is the word of God. Before we talk about what happened in this passage, let's, let's consider the setting, the, the context of the passage. There, there's a word in those verses that I hope caught your attention. And the word is Bethesda. 
Bethesda Church got its name from this passage. Now, the original Bethesda was believed to be a healing pool. The word Bethesda means house of mercy. And so our church is to be a house of mercy. We remember God's mercy toward us and our mercy we give to others. John wrote in verse 1, he said, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now John doesn't tell us the name of the Jewish feast, which actually is a little bit surprising. He usually shared the feast name. And that's led to a lot of speculation as to which feast it was, but we're not going to go there. John's words also indicate a possible jump in time. Up until now, there has been a definite chronology to John's gospel. With the beginning of John chapter 5, it seems there's a gap of time between the end of chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5. And we're not told how long a gap of time that was. In describing this scene, John mentioned a sheep gate near the pool of the Bethesda. This gate was where sheep were brought in to be washed before presenting them in the synagogue. Some liberal theologians have tried to discount that there was an actual pool of Bethesda. Their discounting has been discounted. Archaeologists have discovered the pool of Bethesda. It is now known as the pool of St. Anne. John provided additional details. He wrote of five roof colonnades. He indicated this was a place where invalids came for healing. John specifically said that the man had been an invalid. He had been lame for 38 years. And John's attention to details show us that he was there. John was an eyewitness. I also want to point out something a little bit odd in this passage. If you were reading along with me in your Bible, you might have noticed that the passage skips verse 4. Verse 4 was not found in the oldest manuscript of John's Gospel. It seems to have been added at a later date, and most Bibles omit it. If you're curious, verse 4 stated that the angel of the Lord went into the pool at certain times, stirred the waters, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring was healed. Now this was not a belief held by the Jewish people, and it's not supported anywhere else in Scripture. But it does show us that people look for healing in all sorts of different places. It's possible there was something actually in the water that was medicinal. And that may have led to the superstitious beliefs of it being a, a healing pool. But the Bible doesn't direct us to superstition. It leads us to faith in God and God's goodness towards his children. And there's one last thing I want to point out before we talk about the lame man. As we move into John chapter 5, opposition to Jesus started to grow. The Jewish leaders became upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Later in John 5, Jesus made the claim that he was one with God the Father. And that didn't sit well with the religious leaders. So with that in mind, we're going to focus on two aspects of the lame, lame man in the first verses of John chapter 5. First, the man was looking in the wrong place 
for healing. And then second, even after the man was healed, he wasn't grateful. When Jesus asked this man, he asked, he said, do you want to be healed? And, and that was an awesome question. The man should have simply said, yes, I want to be healed. Instead, he replied, sir, I have no one to put me into the water, into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Remember, the superstition was that the first person in the pool of water was healed. The man believed he needed a quick lift to get into the water. As we read this passage 2,000 years later, we know who was standing in front of the lame man. It was Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus had the ability to heal him. Of course, the man probably didn't know who Jesus was. And this man was desperate. He may have gone to doctors. Perhaps he had tried home remedies. The, the healing pool might have been one of the many things that he tried. John doesn't say if the man asked God for healing. The man should have prayed, and maybe he did. We don't know. All we know is when Jesus asked if he wanted to be healed, the man sought healing in a pool of water. You know, like this man, we often look in the wrong places. When many people get married, they expect their spouse to fulfill them, to make their life whole. A spouse really can't complete us. It isn't the responsibility. Your husband or your wife may be amazing, but they aren't capable of meeting all of your needs. Or maybe we have kids and we want to live out our childhood dreams through them. And, and I have to admit, I've been guilty of that. I love sports. I played sports. But I wasn't a great athlete. My son Adam had a gift for soccer and tennis. He won high school awards and was named to the Suburban South All-Conference soccer team. I lived vicariously through his soccer. My other son, Brett, is already more successful in business than I ever was. He's only 32 years old. I look at his toughness, his wisdom, his work ethic, and his ability to manage projects and people, and I'm proud of him. I love to hear of his accomplishments. But I've learned that no matter how awesome our kids are, we can't live through them. Sometimes we look for happiness in our work. We think if I just had the right job, life would be perfect. It isn't. What if we had more money? Wouldn't that make everything better? And these days, people may desperately need more money simply to eat and pay the bills. But still, money can leave some just wanting more and more money. It could be your health. Maybe you're facing an illness, a handicap, a dreaded diagnosis. You look to medicine to cure your problems. And these things, a spouse, kids, a good job, money, and medicine can all be very good. They are certainly helpful. They just aren't meant to fulfill our deepest needs. They can't do it. It's easy to look in the wrong places for joy hope, meaning, and purpose. 
And then, even when we get what God knows we need, we aren't always grateful. We want more or something different. And that's the second thing we learn about this man. He wasn't grateful. The lame man was looking for his help in a pool of water when God in the flesh was standing in front of him. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And the man was instantly healed. He took up his bed mat and he walked. And that was it. That was the end of this man's first encounter with Jesus. Not only was he looking in the wrong place for healing, John doesn't record that the man rejoiced or even thanked Jesus. And we have to stop here for a moment to think about this. Put yourself in the story. Imagine that you haven't walked for 38 years. And some rabbi comes up and he asks you if you want to be healed. Maybe you've never heard of him. Hopefully you don't reply sarcastically, no, you know what, I really like being uh, handicapped. Regardless of your answer, Jesus heals you. Wouldn't you be dancing? Wouldn't you be screaming at the top of your lungs? Wouldn't you be hugging and thanking Jesus? Well, of course you would. But as, as far as we know, the guy at the pool didn't do any of that. And it actually gets worse. The Jews questioned the man who had been healed. They were concerned that he was working on the Sabbath. See, he was carrying his bed mat. And it shows the, the pettiness of the Jewish leaders. They weren't interested in the man. They weren't interested that he had been miraculously healed. No, they were bent out of shape because he broke their rules. Let me ask you this. Was the man supposed to just walk away, leaving his mat behind? Of course not. The Jews wanted to assign blame, law-breaking, to someone. The formerly lame man was eager to pass the blame. He said, well, this guy who healed me told me to get up and take my mat and walk. And instead of praising Jesus, he was actually passing the buck. He was saying it was Jesus' fault that he broke the rule of no work on the Sabbath. And he didn't even know who healed him. He called Jesus the man who healed me. Maybe we need to cut the man some slack. Maybe it happened all too quickly. Maybe he didn't even think to ask Jesus' name. But when he did find out that it was Jesus who healed him, he told the officials, he told the Jews. He made sure that Jesus got the blame for the Sabbath work of him carrying his bed mat. And I wonder, am I being too tough on this man? I don't think so. Jesus' words provide confirmation. Jesus said to the man, he said, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus didn't commend the man for his faith. His words don't seem to be comforting. No, instead, Jesus warned the man. Jesus told the man he had been blessed by God. Jesus made him well. He needed to respond. Jesus said, sin no more. We're all sinners. No one can completely stop sinning. And yet Jesus wasn't asking the impossible. When you and I belong to Jesus, 
Our sin doesn't define us. Jesus was saying that the man needed to confess his sins. He needed to repent. He needed to trust in Jesus. And Jesus would change his heart, his attitude, his life. His sin would no longer define him. The spiritual healing that Jesus provides is always greater than any physical healing. And that ties us to directly to the last statement that Jesus made to the man. He said, sin no more. And then he said that nothing worse may happen to you. It was a reference to the man's eternal destiny. If the man didn't change his ways, if he didn't believe in Jesus, hell was going to be his eternal home. Spending eternity in hell is much worse than any suffering we could ever experience in this life. But the good news is that hell doesn't have to be our future home. Jesus made heaven possible for every single one of us. The formerly lame man provides an example of the wrong response to Jesus. He looked in the wrong places for healing. And when he was healed, he wasn't grateful. Contrast him to the official in John chapter 4. The official's son was dying. Jesus healed his son. John wrote that the man believed. In fact, his whole household believed. He likely told everyone in his household what had happened. He was thrilled and they believed. He told them how Jesus had promised his son would be healed and that it came true. Earlier in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well told her whole village that, that Jesus knew everything about her. And she wondered, can this be the Christ? She believed, as many did in her village. And, and soon we'll get to chapter 9, and when we get there, we'll meet a man who was blind from birth. Jesus restored his sight, and later the Jewish leaders interrogated the man who had been blind. See, Jesus had again healed on the Sabbath. And so to get to Jesus, the leaders went to the man whose sight had been restored. They hoped to use him as a witness against Jesus. And here is just part of the man's response to that interrogation. He said, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, Jesus, were not from God... He could do nothing. The man knew Jesus had healed him. He knew Jesus was from God. He was grateful. He believed in Jesus. The official with the dying son, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the man born blind were all grateful. And they believed in Jesus. We're living in tough times. This coronavirus has hurt so many. It has changed our lives. We look to our political leaders, to doctors, to nurses, to anyone who can help us. And looking to these people is not wrong. We hope God has given them knowledge and wisdom. We pray that God will use them to bring an end to this pandemic. But our first priority, our first priority is to look to God. Only God can get us through this. 
Only God can meet our greatest need. Only Jesus gives us hope for today and hope for the future. And so look to Jesus and be grateful. Even in the midst of something terrible, God brings good. Some of us are experiencing a slower pace to life, and it's good. We needed to slow down. Others are more focused on the people God has put into their lives. Relationships are growing deeper. People are helping each other. When tough times strike, it brings out the best in some. Priorities may be changing. God is showing us that all this stuff of the world can be nice. We're to enjoy it, but it doesn't last. It doesn't give meaning to life. It doesn't give purpose our true joy. Only Jesus can do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank God for all the blessings that he has given you. Okay.